This edition of Farming the Countryside is brought to you by Pivot Bio Proven. Turn to a better nitrogen. Learn more at pivotbio.com. Welcome to Farming the Countryside. I'm Andrew McRae. Angie Weitzel lives and works on the family farm and manages a small cow-calf herd. She also has spent all of her adult years as a family doctor in rural southwest Missouri. She provides the advice we probably need to hear, but may not want to hear. Here's some thoughts that could have a major impact on the life you live. It's our topic for this week's Farming the Countryside, brought to you by Pivot Bio. When it comes to using nitrogen on my corn, the more predictable, the better. That's why I've used Pivot Bio Proven 40 on my crops for the past two seasons. With Pivot Bio, I know my crops are getting the nitrogen they need, no matter the weather. And now, that same predictability is available right on the corn seed. Pivot Bio Proven 40 on seed gives growers even more flexibility with their nitrogen plant. Our field demonstrations show an opportunity for a better ROI and a reduction of synthetic nitrogen. Turn to a better nitrogen. Contact your local sales rep to learn more or go to pivotbio.com. Good health is often something we take for granted, until suddenly we don't have good health for ourselves or our families. And health is often a topic we don't like to discuss, because it sometimes includes a discussion of changes we may need to make. Certainly, there are things that arise, out of no fault of our own, that have us seeking health care. However, there are many things that take their toll over time and are in our control. Dr. Angie Weitzel knows the cattle industry, and that's where we begin this week's conversation. But we then discuss the state of rural health care, and specifically, some of the things we can do to improve our health for many more productive years in agriculture. Angie, we're going to talk about the medical side of things, but you grew up on the farm, still very active on the farm, have a cow-calf operation. I have been driving through southwest Missouri, and it looks <laughs> not great when you look at these pastures. Just talk about the year you've had and how you've been able to survive, in a sense, in a year that has not uh, produced a lot of rain. It is so dry, Andrew. I mean, um, things just got dire over the summer. Uh, pasture was just, you know, you couldn't even walk through without being crunchy. You know, it, it looked like October, November when it was July. And it now it got a little bit better. We got some rain and then now we aren't again and ponds are drying up and it's it's getting pretty. I mean, it continues to be a just very stressful time for cattle producers for sure. Have you personally had to do some things differently as far as reducing the number of cattle or feeding hay quicker or how's it impacted your operation? I know that so I have my small hobby farm but I know that my dad and brother have had have had to start feeding hay much much earlier this year and and just looking at things differently um, you know they they um, cut hay much later than usual you know it seems like everybody around here is cutting hay late because worried about having enough to go through the winter because they couldn't cut hay when they traditionally would when it was just so stinking dry. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I I tell my patients, and it's true, I'm, I was the crazy doctor who was uh, running a sprinkler in my pasture this summer when it got so bad. I mean, that's it was just my kids show cattle, and 
Um, I just felt so horrible for them because they were just walking around in dead grass. So that's just what I did. That's the crazy kind of things we do for our cows, right? So uh, were you running lots of sprinklers, and did it really make a difference in the end to get you enough grass? It, it did not, but it made me feel like I was doing something, which, uh, you know, when you love your cattle, you do crazy things, right? <laughs> well, you know, you mentioned water. Is water a concern as far as having enough water for livestock or people having to come up with different means to get water to them or move cows around, or what are you hearing out there? Yeah, moving cows around. Um, and trying to, uh, you know, truck water to cattle, which in areas that you don't traditionally have to, and um, not being able to utilize pastures because the ponds are dry um, or just unsafe. And um, when I drive through the big herd, I just see them all. They look all muddy because they've just been moping around in these muddy, gross ponds. It's it's a problem. Let's transition from talking a bit about farming and in this case cattle to your role as a doctor. You've been in rural health care really since you uh, got your degree from the University of Missouri. You still work at, you know, with students who are thinking about coming back to rural areas. I'm curious, do you notice in a year like this when we have drought and there's stress on livestock or crops, can you tell it in your medical practice with the humans that you're treating? Can you see the stress in the farmers and the humans uh, dealing with this? Yes. I mean, cattlemen love their livestock. So when their cattle are under stress, they're under more stress. I mean, their blood pressure is higher. They're not coming in for routine wellness checks. They um, struggle more with anxiety. I mean, yeah, there definitely is a correlation there, Andrew. I I think that um, it's just been I mean, this is an obvious thing to say, but we're, you know, coming off a very difficult few years with the pandemic and farmers dealing with all of the price increases and struggles with um, how we're rebuilding our world post-pandemic and and then now having to deal with this instability with water and weather. It's hard. You mentioned, of course, COVID and coming off of that. Did you have a lot of patients that, in a sense, you didn't see during that time because they couldn't come in or they were delaying procedures? And how is that then rippling out? What has been the ripple effect of that now? Are you seeing more problems? Are you trying to get people caught up? I'm just curious how it's impacted your practice as far as coming through a couple of years in which things were definitely not normal. <laughs> are we getting anywhere back toward normal now? I think we're far from normal. I think that the way it's impacted patients is that they put off a lot of things because they either wanted to avoid the healthcare system um, because of the pandemic or because we had such crazy waits. I mean, I, I used to, Andrew, be able to put in an order for something like a routine mammogram or colonoscopy and and I could with confidence know that the patients would get called and it would get scheduled in a timely fashion. And I don't have that that confidence any any longer because things are taking much longer. The healthcare system's dealing this with the same sort of worker shortages as everybody else is dealing with. And so you have the backlog of people who put things off plus the just amount of just sheer workforce it takes to get all those things rolling again. It's I I think it's going to take a long time to get back to normal in healthcare, and I I don't know if we 
know what normal, I don't know where it's going to land. And I know that all of my, you know, colleagues that are primary care doctors, family doctors, specifically rural family doctors, I mean, we, we are all feeling the pressure of what that's like. And it's, you know, terribly frustrating to us when our patients can't get the care that they need or that we recommend because of these issues that um, with with supply and worker shortage and backlog. So what do you do if you can do anything to combat that? Are you trying to get the message out there, hey, I know it can be a wait, but that doesn't mean we put this off. We've still got to get these things scheduled. Are people, in a sense, not doing some of the things that they should have been doing? And do we need to hear the message, okay, you need to get started again with these things and get back in some sort of routine of getting the checkups and things that I'm supposed to get? Yeah, you you need to. And you also can no longer, you have to be a little bit squeakier now, um, a little bit more persistent as a patient, I think, than you used to be when, I mean, I have seen several patients um, that I ordered something and then six months later, they still haven't um, gotten it done, haven't gotten their colonoscopy, for example. And they say, well, nobody ever called me, so I just assumed you didn't want me to do it, Right. And which kind of takes them off the hook because they probably really didn't want to do their colonoscopy anyway. But I, you know, that's just really hard for me to hear because I want them to stay healthy. And I see so many patients now who um, haven't had just even like a yearly blood pressure check and, you know, make sure that their lab work is all stable and, and, I think it, I can speak for myself. I was more lax during the pandemic of refilling things like blood pressure medicine or cholesterol medicine because I didn't want them to go without it, but not necessarily making them come in because there was a time where we weren't able to or certainly not seeing patients the same way that we did pre-COVID. So just getting people back in saying, please get your routine lab work, get your routine um, screening tests, get your routine vaccinations, do all the things that you were doing before COVID. I know this will be hard to answer because you can't stereotype patients, and we have a wide range of ages of folks that could be listening to this, and maybe pre-existing conditions or not. But where should I begin? Is it just making an appointment to come in and just get some of those basic checks done? Or if I haven't been in for a while, where do I begin? And, and frankly, a lot of people don't want to go to the doctor. That's not something we really enjoy usually. So how do you, where do you tell them to start in this process if they haven't done anything for a while? I think it's exactly that, Andrew. Yeah, you just make an appointment and you go in and you say, hey, it's been a year or two years. I just want to make sure that I'm doing everything I can to stay healthy. And then your healthcare provider should be able to review with you all of the recommended um, screening tests, procedures, vaccinations that we can do to help keep you healthy. Because I, I think in the, in the, I mean, COVID's not over, right? I mean, fortunately, we're, fortunately or unfortunately, we're dealing with a, a variant right now that is crazy contagious, but not that deadly. But we don't know what's coming. So I tell my patients, you, you, and I don't mean that to sound scary. I'm not a doomsdayer, but um, we want to do everything we can to stay healthy in every other aspect so that when and if there is another variant that is more um, catastrophic, like the first few were, um, we'll be healthy in every other aspect. 
since you are in a small town, you deal with a lot of farmers, and perhaps there's no answer to this question, but I am interested. Do we as farmers and folks in agriculture do some things better than the general population, worse than the general population? Your typical farm (laughs) customer, if you will, what would you say to them about, hey, you're doing this well, but you're not doing this well, or do we do anything well? I hope we do something well. Well, I actually, rural medicine is all I've ever known. So I, I, I took some time to look at some national data. And really, farmers as a whole do live longer and are healthier. Um, a lot of that has to do with physical activity and spending time outdoors and having a career that gives you um, physical and emotional satisfaction. So overall, um, those in production agriculture are healthier. Um, there are a few uh, things that you know, farming is such a physically demanding job, and so there are some musculoskeletal things that are more common, and there there are certain types of cancers that are more common just because of the exposure. There's respiratory illness that's more common. I, I think about, you know, as a kid when you would be in the field and you'd come home and you would just blow total black snot, you know, for a couple days. I mean, that's not, that was my normal, but that is not, <laughs> that is not normal. That's People in non-ag careers don't have to deal with the type of respiratory. I mean, just the stuff we're inhaling all the time in production agriculture is not the same as the general population. So to answer your question, overall, farmers are should be proud to know that they're in a um, industry that is protective when it comes to longevity and overall health. But that still doesn't mean that they're not at risk of certain medical conditions and farm injuries and safety has really been on my mind and heart lately. We've had some traumatic local things happen, and I, it, we can never discount the, um, the things that we put our bodies through in production agriculture that are tough. Let's talk about some specific topics that I hear out there in farm country and their medical issues. One is we're certainly outdoors a lot. What about the sun? Because, yeah, we hear that, okay, I need to protect myself from the sun. But what would you tell me? Is it long sleeve shirts? I hear some doctors say it's not just long sleeve shirts. It's the type of shirt you wear and a, and a hat and so forth. So what do I need to do? Because we're out there a lot. What do I do to protect myself from the sun and how important is it? So farmers have a much higher risk of skin cancer than the general population. Thanks for reminding me of that. So whatever, so a little sun is good, um, and it helps build your vitamin D. Um, it helps with um, emotional health. But if you, you know, the areas that are not protected well from the sun, like top of the head, if you are losing some hair, or top of your ears and nose and um, back of the neck and arms, of course, more likely left arm because that's the side that's um, on the, the, when you're driving, that's the side that's more likely to get more sun. So yes, long sleeve shirts, wide brim hats, whatever you can do to protect direct sun. And then sunscreen is very protective and does lower the risk of all types of skin cancers. So being smart about not letting your skin just turn to leather from all the sun, taking good care of it. And then if you notice any any spot, especially in a sun-exposed area that's growing or changing, 
you need to have it checked out because you you want to catch skin cancer when it's early and it's easily easy to treat. You mentioned earlier about farmers are active. My doctor and I had a, a visit about the difference between being active and exercising. So is there a difference? Because farmers, I think, will all say, well, I'm active, so I don't need to exercise. So what do I need to do? Yes, there is a difference. So farmers do a lot of strength. Tra- I mean, they do a lot of lifting and strength training, but and they do a lot of quick bursts. You know, you're running to shut a gate quickly or you're (laughs) running to get out of the way of something. But as far as sustained activity where your heart rate is getting to the point where you can't comfortably breathe or talk, I'm sorry, where you can't comfortably talk. So you should be doing that either walking or jogging or swimming or um, doing anything you love, movement, for at least 30 minutes, three times a week, that you can't just comfortably have a conversation through. That's good cardiovascular protection. You're getting your heart rate up. That's good for your, um, that's good for really every aspect. I mean, regular exercise lowers your risk of cancer, heart disease, basically everything bad. So let's talk about diet then. We're in harvest season, and one thing that's nice about harvest is in the middle of the afternoon you get a Coke and a cupcake or something like that, which is obviously good. So you would tell me vegetables and fruits, overblown, right? It's all right, the Cokes and the cupcakes uh, that I have. You know, we laugh about this, but diet is a big deal, and I think in harvest season and planting season are two times where I think about it the most because you're moving fast. So in general, what are you going to tell me as far as diet? What should we be thinking about? You should fill your plate with mainly plant-based foods. And, you know, that always gives me a little bit of heartburn because I always have about, you know, 500 pounds of beef in my freezer at home. But, um, you know, as far as everything, you just need to be smart, right? So if you are filling your diet mainly with plant-based foods and then adding, you mentioned cupcakes or all of that you can have in moderation, but if, if your entire diet, which I have several farmers, is based upon, you know, chicken strips and cupcakes, I mean, that's that they can get at the filling station. That's not, that's not a good balance. But, you know, like we talk with our kids about everyday foods and sometimes foods, I mean, the same holds true for adults. You, you should really focus on fruits and vegetables and low-fat meats, cuts of meats, and um, gra- whole grains, you know, the stuff that we've heard since we were kids. It, it really, I'd love to tell you that cupcakes are the, the new broccoli, but it really hasn't came to that yet, Andrew. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's, let's talk about something that certainly, all of these topics are important, but we started by talking about drought and stress. And regardless of the season, stress and mental health is critical in farming. And we hear this brought up time and time again. So in a sense, give me the the state of mental health, I guess, in small town and rural America. And then give me some ideas if this is something that I'm personally struggling with or people I know in my family or friends. How do I get help in, in these areas? Because I'm sure you deal with it. You see it, I'm sure, in your practice. Yeah, and I'm glad a lot more attention is being paid to it. You know, I've been doing rural primary care for 17 years, and I, when I used to broach the subject about depression or anxiety with my patients that were in production agriculture, it was sometimes it seemed like it was just offensive to them that I would even bring it up. And, you know, depending on the statistic, I mean, we, we 
it, depending on the source, I mean, the suicide rate of farmers is still higher than the general population. And I, I think the reasons we, we, that people in production agriculture deal with anxiety and depression should be obvious. I mean, there's just so much out of your control when it comes to weather and prices and inflation and whether your kids want to take over your farm someday. I mean, things that you don't have to deal with in other industries. Um, but I, I still think it's hard for people in rural places to get over the stigma of depression and anxiety, that, that they should be able to pray themselves better, which not I mean, I, spiritual health is a huge part of people's overall physical health, too, and n- not to downplay the role that um, prayer um, plays in the health of an individual. I, I, I strongly believe it does improve health. But you can also get help if you are feeling um, anxious, depressed, sad, and it just has not—I I do think it's getting better. The conversations are easier, but I still see so many patients that just refuse to think that they could have a, a mental illness. You know, they'll, they'll take medication for their diabetes or their high blood pressure, but the thought of taking medicine to improve their biochemistry to help them deal with depression and anxiety, it, it's, it's, a, it's a hurdle that we have to get, get over. And— it's just kind of like going to the doctor and saying, hey, I haven't been in a while. What do I need to do to stay healthy? Just like that, if you're feeling depressed, anxious, not sleeping well, no appetite, no interest in doing things that you love, feeling guilty, hopeless, useless. I mean, if you, if you feel like um, you're struggling with any of that, you, you can schedule an appointment and say, hey, I just feel like I'm not in a good place emotionally. And we have treatments for depression just like we have treatments for all the other medical problems that we see every day. You see uh, certainly a lot of ups and downs, both with individual patients, but just, in, I'm sure, in your community and the region. What gives you hope uh, in a world in which we see, you know, rural hospitals and, uh, you know, perhaps declining not as many, access to health care can be harder, cost of health care can be higher. I'm guessing you still have hope. You're still out there in this industry making a difference. Oh gosh, Andrew. I mean, I, I, I still love, absolutely love my job, and and feel like we we can make a difference to improve and change the trajectory of someone's life or quality of life. And what gives me hope is, I, I think you mentioned. I mean, I've been able to uh, teach medical students through the University of Missouri. They have a, a Springfield-based campus, which is an hour away from here, and I've been doing that for seven years. And you know, these young doctors, they just have so much enthusiasm. Yeah, every time I'm feeling like, oh my gosh, you know, it's it's been a tough few years for physicians just like it has for every other industry. I, I get one of those students with me in clinic and they just light up when they can help a patient feel better. Before we wind up, are there any other things that you would want, whether it's a farm audience or just general audience, to know when they think about their health care, whether it's things that happen now or down the road, just other things that we haven't talked about you'd want them to know? There's so much misinformation, Andrew, out. um, And I do worry about this kind of general distrust of medicine and science that we've seen happen over the last, you know, two to three years 
maybe even longer than that. And just finding a healthcare provider that that you you can really trust can help you sort through all of the fact versus fiction and um, give you good advice about what's good science. Evidence based medicine is is what I will advocate for versus what's opinion or what's trying to make money off of you. I, I mean, I see so many people get taken advantage of by these fix-all programs that they find on the internet. And it's dangerous because if you don't trust your doctor or your healthcare provider, and then you read some information that's false, where that leads you, I think is dangerous. But cattle, I mean, but farmers and cattlemen are smart, and and I know that, and um, they are discerning uh, people and um, resourceful people. But I have seen just some struggles with really what is good information and what is not. And I think finding somebody that you can you can trust to help you dig through. I appreciate the time. Always good to visit. Thanks, Andrew, so much. That's it for this week's show. Remember, you can hear all of our shows at farmingthecountryside.com, on many local radio stations, or on your favorite podcast platform. And you can follow Farming the Countryside on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube as well, where I'm posting pictures and info from our own farm, including pictures and videos from Harvest. I'm Andrew McRae. I'll catch you next time on Farming the Countryside. This edition of Farming the Countryside has been brought to you by Pivot Bio Proven. Turn to a better nitrogen. Learn more at pivotbio.com.